Hello and welcome to the St. Emlyn's podcast. I'm Rich Carden and today I'm joined by Tony Joy, who is a consultant in emergency medicine at the Royal London Hospital and he's also the clinical lead for the Physician Response Unit. So let's kick off with finding out what is the Physician Response Unit. So the Physician Response Unit is a collaborative service which we run between the acute hospital, which is Bart's Health NHS Trust, the London's Air Ambulance and London's Ambulance Service. And essentially what we are is a shiny red car, a rapid response vehicle, which is staffed by an emergency physician and a clinician from the ambulance service. And we respond to emergency calls in the local area in support of the ambulance service, uh, a, a full breadth of emergency presentations and we take a whole load of equipment and so forth so that we can conceptually try and take the emergency department to patients at the point of the origin of the emergency call. Well we hear in the press at the moment that the emergency departments are all inundated with patients, the ambulance service is taking you know, hours to get to patients because then the volume of jobs they're getting. So you know, why did this service develop? Why are you taking doctors away from the hospital and paramedics away from the ambulances and putting them together in a car? Yeah, so I mean, it's a good question. The, the Physician Response Unit here in uh, East London isn't a new service. It was set up in 2001 by some of the doctors that were leading the uh, air ambulance operation. And they were... They set it up in response to pressures at the time. Uh, this was in anticipation of the four-hour emergency care standard that was being set up and recognition that ambulance services and A&E departments were getting increasingly busy. And they set, up, set it up with, with I suppose, um, several benefits in mind. One, to help ambulance services respond to patients in a timely manner. And two, to take a, an emergency clinician or a pre-hospitalist to patients that were in fact very sick and uh, benefited from having front-loaded care. And in turn, they hoped to take a little bit of the pressure off the, the system, so the, the admission pathways, um, by managing more patients in the community. And the PRU went through several iterations over the, over the last sort of 10 or 15 years, at times focusing particularly on critical care and at times focusing on um, different pathways and so forth. And in the last year, we've redeveloped it and taken it to a, a seven-day-a-week 12-hour-a-day model with a slightly different structure. Historically, the London's Air Ambulance model recruits fantastic trauma specialists, pre-hospitalists from all over the world, but I think providing care on the PRU was perhaps not their primary objective, and many of them were not emergency physicians, and many of them didn't know the local area. And what we've developed is some fellowships which enable senior emergency medical doctors to apply and work on the service where they spend some of their time out in the community on the PRU and they spend some of their time in the emergency department. And that's really given us a new opportunity to help develop and embed and mature pathways which are completely focused on our local population and it means we can maximize the services that are available locally and it's it's really helping integrate services not just in acute emergency services but community services primary care services and other options for the ambulance service as well. So that sounds like a really impressive and interesting model. Clearly, your aim is to improve patient experience within the northeast London area. Have you got any data to, or is there any evidence that suggests that there is an advantage by taking a registrar out of the emergency department and taking an ambulance um, service clinician away from that service? And is this adding anything different by doing it this way? 
Yeah, well, I think that's a really interesting challenge that we need to respond to because the ambulance service, as we know, is seeing year on year increased activity and patients' behaviours, of people's behaviours have changed over recent years about thresholds for dialing 999, about availability of primary care services to themselves, about expectations on emergency departments, about the medicalised society, you know, all of these things have added to the challenge that we need to respond to in emergency care. And as we all know, the emergency departments themselves, alongside the ambulance service, are really congested with flow being a real challenge and the ability to have a high-quality, focused consultation with patients when we're not dragged in different directions and when we're not challenged by the environment, I think, is, is difficult. And one thing that we're able to offer on the physician response unit is when we respond to a patient, we are there with them. We're not being torn in other directions trying to get to other patients until we're then available at the end, at the end of that episode. And it means that the quality aspect can really be focused on. Sure, the patient experience is really positive as a result of that because they have a, a senior clinician who comes to them and tries to provide the right outlet for them. But I completely hear what you say. You know, you're taking that clinician out of the emergency department where there's, there's many, many more patients waiting to, to, to see them. I think my feeling is that one of the side effects of the congested system is that productivity has inevitably decreased. And I think it's sometimes hard in a busy emergency department to maintain that tempo and maintain that sort of rate of consultation because of physical space and other sort of environmental stresses. And so don't know what the typical number of patients seen by a typical doctor in an emergency department is, but I suspect that we are challenged when we're in the ED as well. I think there's something about seeing patients once they've already come to hospital as well. When you see a patient who's come through via ambulance to the hospital, they're on a trolley, they're gowned, they might have had some bloods taken in sort of initial assessment area, they have a front sheet, they're very much a patient. And the really positive aspect of pre-hospital consultation for these kind of patients in their home is that you see them as a person. And I think that's really eye-opening for the doctors that we're able to give this experience an opportunity to, because... They see the same patients, it's the same demographic of of patients that they see in the ED, but they get to see them in their own communities, they get to see the way that they they live, the, the types of accommodation, the types of families, the social networks, the support networks, and also hear some of the frustrations that patients sometimes have navigating the system. And that really enables quite a different perspective, and I think actually changes the way that we make our assessment, make our diagnosis and and offer treatment as well because the way that we've set up emergency departments to offer initial assessment processes to help move patients through the system risks over investigation. I think risks having junior doctors sometimes quite unsupported with senior input as well. I feel like thresholds are a little bit different in hospital to out of hospital and I really object to the, the use of the phrase admission avoidance in regards to this service because it suggests that you're withholding something for your patient but actually this is about taking community-based emergency medicine out there and hopefully accessing all of the services and all of the pathways that are available. Now clearly some patients need to come to hospital that is in their best interest and if they're sick we can we can help front load that and we can send them in with a referral or we can convey them in and so forth. But a lot of this is about trying to join up a slightly fragmented system and orchestrate and coordinate care for patients that find that hard themselves. 
So who are these patients? Because it sounds like if I was a patient listening to this, I'd be putting my hand up and trying to get to the front of the queue to have this lengthy consultation process whilst I'm in the comfort of my own home and getting all the experiences that the emergency department offers and the investigations that the emergency department offers, but you're bringing them to me. What makes me as that patient so special to receive this treatment? So, I mean, you say lengthy. It doesn't have to be a lengthy consultation process. It's It's just the right amount of time and whatever that might be. The patients that we see are myriad in their in their type of presentation. So about 15% of the workload is category one. So in the new ambulance response program categories, these are often cardiac arrest patients. They're patients that need critical care interventions and so forth. Category two and category three are other emergency and urgent presentations. And that's probably the bulk of our workload. So it's what I would probably liken to the majors area in most emergency departments. They're patients with often very significant symptoms. They need a thorough assessment and they need often some investigation but you know your undifferentiated collapses your patients with a acute severe headache patients with vertigo patients with abdominal pain and diarrhea and vomiting and you know all of these common presentations that that all of us that see patients across emergency care are used to seeing and then there's a number of injuries as well so patients with lacerations patient with with with, with falls and undifferentiated trauma and so forth so it's a really broad range of complaints that we see and we know that there are some that we can add lots of value to and there are some that we can probably add less value to but we've tried to be a sort of never say no service partly because the initial triage on the very busy emergency operations center for the ambulance service perhaps isn't the most discriminate process and a very high category call might in fact be something that we can treat and turn around and and manage at home and the same thing goes with some of the much lower category ones they can turn out to be really sick patients. So we try and just judge every patient on the on the presentation when we get to them. We never say no to any tasking. We probably see in the order of between six and ten patients a day with a with a fairly broad range. Some of the patients that we can add the most value to are some of the most complex patients. They might have chronic conditions, they might have many different sort of healthcare agencies trying to provide input and an example of that might be a, a frail elderly person who's, for instance, developed an infection or had a fall or both and so forth. And we are really well placed, I think, to take a history, assess those patients. But that bit about seeing them in their own environment and appreciating what their support network is, is really invaluable. And then we can reach out to other community providers, such as local rapid response teams with community nursing input, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, community pharmacists, and we can bring all of those services together not just to provide an acute need, such as enhanced social care or formalisation of medications into a dosset box or something like that, but then provide ongoing care via GPs and so forth as well. And that, that's some of the most satisfying and, I think, impactful work that we do. And typically, how many patients would you end up taking to hospital or would still need to go to the emergency department following a visit from the PRU? So since our sort of redeveloped model with the PIU fellows and the enhanced hours, our data shows that just over two thirds of our patients we will manage in the community, many of those with follow-up that we have arranged. And so about a third of our patients, or slightly less, do come to hospital. And clearly those are sometimes simple things, but there is a hospital-based uh, indication such as an x-ray or, or so forth that needs to be done at the time. Or they need hospital care and, and we can send them in with a referral and with their kind of ED episode more or less completed. Okay, so tell me what your typical day looks like. So what time do you start, for example? So we we meet at about half seven in the morning to start going through some pre-shift 
checks. We carry a lot of equipment and, and that means, like many other pre-hospital services, some, some checklists and getting some stock out and so forth. We were online from 8 o'clock in the morning until 8 p.m. at night and we are roaming out in the car uh, between jobs and hopefully on a, a good busy day we'll have a chance to grab a bite to eat at some point but we'll be going from patient to patient across the, the local area and typically those would be some, some, some patients that are outside let's say you know someone that's had a, an RTC or a trauma or something like that so some patients in the community plenty of patients in their own homes and we, we go to a lot of offices or workplaces or underground stations and so forth where someone has had an emergency and a, uh, and a 999 call has been placed. Typically we'll see between six and ten patients a day and that's really very dependent on the complexity, dependent on the, the, the workload and we work really closely with the ambulance service and we are only in existence because they task us and about three quarters of our workers as a primary response so they task us in, in place of another one of their resources, hopefully thinking that we can add a lot of value and, and close out the episode, as it were. Um, but about a quarter of our work is from crew requests. So we've done a lot of collaborative training and development with ambulance crews in the area. And they know now often give us a call if they think that we might be able to bring some of our skills, equipment or expertise to help them with a patient that they might have a plan for, but they, they benefit from our input. It's worth noting that of the age groups that we go to, you know, we see patients of all ages, but there are definite spikes in our activity in the young adult group, the sort of 20 to 29 year olds, and then in the much more elderly group, the 80 to 89 year olds, those are the two spikes in our service demographic. And I think that's interesting, perhaps in review of how patients are seeking healthcare. I think that elderly group are the ones where we can bring loads of value in trying to really seek what they need and orchestrate services like I described before. And the younger ones are perhaps, and this is a little bit speculative, but perhaps patients where they have a, a lower threshold for phoning 999 or being in London, the patients that come into town for work, but they're nowhere near their GPs or they're nowhere near, near their home addresses and so forth. And they're perhaps ones that we can quickly knock off since that's probably a higher rate of non-conveyance to hospital in that group. I want to ask you a few questions now about sort of the training side of things because there's a phenomenal amount of kit that you must carry with you to be able to do all these interventions and these investigations in the community. I know how long it takes to train doctors <clears throat> in hospital. Is this even longer? How long do, does your your fellows take to get trained before they, they're able to go out on their own into the big wide world? This has been something that we've put loads of energy and devoted a lot of resource to. I think it's so important when you change the way that doctors are seeing patients from in an ED into in the pre-hospital setting, and there needs to be really robust training development and governance around it. When our fellows started, they all went through a several-week induction process where they were doing supervised shifts, and that culminated in a sign-off. And there's a lot of kit to become familiar with. There are some SOPs that we use, which we share with the, the critical care arm of, of London's Air Ambulance as well. And there are also several of us that um, provide consultant input onto the, the clinical rotor, so provide supervised shifts uh, so that all the fellows, I think, feel reasonably well supported. There's always somebody on the end of the phone, if they are on their own on a shift, to talk about challenging clinical cases or support them with their decision making. On that note, how do you ensure governance of this service? Although it's got a few consultant colleagues who do shifts, it's predominantly delivered by senior trainees, but trainees nonetheless. So 
how do you ensure that there's that safety network that we would see in hospital, Datexes, incident reporting and audit? Do you carry that forward into the community? How, how does that work? So I think the governance of a service like this is so important, not least so that the, the trainees, the fellows feel supported in their roles. But also we're doing something a little bit different and we need to make sure that patients aren't coming to harm and that the, the quality aspects are all kept a really robust eye on. So like I said before, in terms of real-time clinical decision-making, there is always available support from a pre-hospital care consultant on the end of a phone. But what we've also set up is a weekly case review meeting so that the doctors and the LAS clinicians are able to come and discuss cases at length in an educational and governance forum. And this dovetails in with the teaching that we provide on a, a weekday morning in the emergency department. So the A&E doctors are able to benefit from hearing about patient cases being looked after by the PIU in the community as well. And when there have been difficult patients or when there have been challenges in, in decision-making or if a patient has a different outcome or reattended the hospital and so forth, then we try to pick these up. And I would say that we're really... I'm very lucky with the fellows that we have. They're all taking on some fantastic project work to try and describe what we're doing. We, we've set up a data extreme, we incident report and so forth to try and make sure that the way that we work as a service, but also the way that we collaborate with the emergency department, with other pre-hospital services, community services and primary care services, actually we're beginning to sort of share stories of patients that are often sort of reach into lots of different aspects of that. We're doing training and development sessions with the ambulance service to try and build up that conversation about what best possible care, for instance, for a frailty patient might look like or a trauma patient. So I think there's there's some, been some really exciting development work, hopefully underpinned by a pretty strong governance system. So there was a lot of activity on social media recently about your first 111 days of the new revamped PRU. So clearly this has got a huge impact on clinical care, um, but there are, there are wider systems effects of this service. And do you want to explain and elaborate on that a bit more? I mean, the headline news for me is that this seems to be delivering a high quality care and patient experience data that we've collected has been really good. You know, it says that patients um, feel that they, they value the, the service. But in terms of the, the wider impact on the system, clearly we're trying to support the ambulance service and we're trying to benefit the emergency department. And I think really importantly, the admissions ward as well, because where we've managed to orchestrate care for patients that we think actually they would have been admitted to hospital, that's when we can make a really big impact for reducing the exit block and reducing the congestion that, that we all know contributes to, to the challenges across the whole sector. So in those sort of first 111 days from our data, we think that we've saved in the order of 310, 320 ambulances, which, you know, there's an associated cost saving to the system with that. But I think moreover, these are the, the sort of the premium resource to, the, to an ambulance service. And they're in such high demand that I hope that that has a, has a significant benefit. Clearly, there's a number of patients that consequently avoid an emergency department encounter. But knowing the activity in the emergency departments in, in East London, we're not claiming to make a big statistically or clinically significant difference to that to that number but when we're tasked to patients that we think would actually have got admitted to hospital but we're able to improve their care by keeping them in the community that's when I think we can make a really big system impact like I've said and we think we've saved in the order of 530 or 540 inpatient bed days which 
clearly has got a significant cost saving associated with it as well. Moreover, I think it'll have a benefit to, to strain and congestion within the system. So the costs of the service in this time frame are outnumbered by the potential cost saving by a factor of about four. Uh, which to me feels very positive and I think aligns with what we expect because we know that the, the whole acute and emergency sector is under a lot of strain and what we're trying to provide is some solutions to, to that. And it's really nice to see that when you focus on clinical care and, and patient experience, actually you can build in some productivity efficiencies as well. So it sounds like you've had a, a great start to the, the year, effectively, since you relaunched the PRU. Going forwards, what are you hoping to achieve with the service over the next year, the next 111 days? Where do you see this going? So what I'd like to see over coming months is really establishing this as a, as a service which is fitting in and supporting the ambulance service and the emergency departments and the hospitals locally, like I've described. And where actually we can become the experts in all of those community pathways that are, that are available. And I think the what we're seeing with our fellows is that they go out and practice pre-hospital care in the community or emergency care in the community. And they bring the knowledge back into the emergency department and then the emergency department learns and benefits from that. And similarly, they the more experience they have in the ED about in-hospital care, they can take some of that knowledge back out into the community. So I think there's there's mutual benefits on on both sides. And the more that with this goes on, the more mature that becomes. And it's really building up a collaborative conversation between a lot of different sectors that are providing care, ultimately, for the same kinds of patients. So I, I know the PRU has been set up over a decade ago, but you've been really the main driver of this revamping of it over the last year. If you were to give any words of advice to anyone listening who around the country would want to set up a similar service, what would they be? We know that emergency care in the current climate is really hard and we need to look for ways to make that more attractive for staff and better for patients. And I'm really proud that I think this model does deliver that. You know, the fellows are um, experiencing a lot of satisfaction in their in their roles and patients are doing well as a result. And this whole service must be a really positive innovation with regards to the recruitment and retention of of trainees in emergency medicine and even consultants. Is this a sustainable job as a part of a portfolio career going forwards? Well, I think it provides an exciting opportunity for trainees to do something a little bit different and to to trying to understand their own patients but in the community has been a, a real benefit from this model of working. So I think it's an attractive working routine. I think we've had a lot of interest and I'm really pleased to see that. I think it's a, it's a nice role for doctors that are interested in pre-hospital care to gain experience in in that kind of working but in a really supported manner and I think for other sort of allied health professionals there's increasing interest in, in how we can all collaborate together. We know that working in emergency care is hard and I think increasingly it's important to to have other opportunities that, that can occupy some of our working time which which satisfy our interest and perhaps reduce the intensity associated with just doing the same thing all of the time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It sounds like a, something I'd be interested in doing in the future. And finally, I, I saw this thing flit into my inbox in my email the other day about the 250. Do you want to explain what that is and give an idea of how perhaps the PRU can add even more value than it, it clearly already is? The opportunity for the PRU or other services to really focus on going to patients where they can bring the most value, I suppose, is, is what underpins this bit of work that you describe. So with our hospital uh, IT systems and, and department, we've 
tried to identify really high users of the whole trust. And we're creating a sort of register or cohort of patients. And, and when we've gone through those patients and worked out that it would be appropriate, we're going to set up a sort of flagging system so that if they phone 999, we can take the PIU to them uh, and try to reduce or, or just try and provide the best care that we can for them in the community. And to give you an idea of potential impact, and I'm sure it's the same in many, many trusts around the country, we've got 224 patients who in the last 12 months just at this hospital have had over 1,300 conveyances to our emergency department, over 1,800 ED attendances in total, so some of which where they've, where they've walked in or self-presented, but over 10,500 inpatient bed days. And clearly some of these patients are going to be very complex, going to have really challenging medical problems, and, and some of them it won't be appropriate for the PIU to, to go to. But some of them where it's a case of managing complex conditions that need, need to be orchestrated and accessing the right care for them, I think even if we make just a small impact on that cohort, we'll see a, a wider system benefit. And moreover, to me, we'll see these patients benefiting from a slightly more focused approach. Well, I think I'm pretty sold on the idea of the PIE, and I think it's fairly obvious that it has the potential and is delivering a whole load of value to what's a really struggling emergency and acute care service at the moment. So thanks so much, Tony, for taking time and coming and explaining what you've been doing over the last year and how this is changing the way that we're practicing emergency medicine and taking it forward into the community. So thank you very much indeed for having me. And if people want to get in touch with you, are you happy for them to drop you a line? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had a lot of interest and um, you all have been able to tell that's something that I feel pretty passionate about this as a way of improving care. So uh, drop me a line, tonyjoy at nhs.net if people are interested. Great. Thanks, Tony. <laughs>